Welcome everyone to the first edition of Fair Territory for 2024. We've got a lot to talk about today. Why? Because still a lot in this sport is unresolved. Still a lot of free agents out there, still trades to be made, still rosters that are incomplete. So we're going to start by talking about the free agent market and the Athletics' initial list of the top 40 free agents as compiled by Tim Britton and Aaron Gleeman. Of those 40, of the 40 top free agents that those guys listed at the start of the offseason, 23, 23 of the 40 remain unsigned. That's a majority. And we're sitting here, it's early January, there's plenty of time until spring training, but there is a lot, again, that needs to happen in the next five to six weeks. So, who are the top remaining free agents? Well, the top three on the athletics list were Shohei Otani, Aaron Nola, and Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Those three are gone. But let's look at the top remaining guys, because there are still a number of big-time players left. We can start with Cody Bellinger. He's number four on Tim and Aaron's list. Blake Snell, number five. Jordan Montgomery, number six. Matt Chapman, number eight. What do these four players all have in common, you might ask? They all have the same agent. It's Scott Boris. And Scott Boris routinely proceeds at his own pace in free agency. Sometimes he will sign guys quickly. We've seen that a couple of times with players this offseason. Nick Martinez was one. And sometimes he will wait and let the market come to him or let it develop at its own pace. In the case of Snell and Montgomery, Yamamoto had to go first. In the case of Bellinger and Chapman, to some degree they were related to Otani, who was the best position player available on the market. But at the same time, their markets should be pretty clear. And these teams that are interested in those players should be ready to go. Ditto for Snell and Montgomery. So it's just a matter of who is going to get these guys, how the negotiations are going to proceed, and what exactly Boris's strategy will be with these players. Now, I mentioned 23 of the top 40 free agents, according to The Athletic, remain unsigned. Here's another fun fact for you as we assess the market. There are only three position players besides Otani, three, that have received contracts of three years or more. Three free agent position players' contracts of three years or more. Here they are. Jung-Hoo Lee, six years, $113 million with the Giants. Heimer Candelario, three years, $45 million with the Reds. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., three years, $42 million with the Diamondbacks. Now, you might think that is a really weird low number, and it is. But it's a reflection of something that, frankly, we haven't talked enough about this offseason. And that is the weakness of this market. For starting pitchers, it's pretty good. For relievers, it's okay. For position players... Outside of Otani, not so great. And that's why you've seen only three of those players so far, three of the free agent position players, sign contracts of three years or more. We should get a few others. Bellinger will get three years or more. Chapman should get three years or more. I would think Teo Hernandez might, Jorge Soler might, both those guys are 31. But this has not been a great free agent market. You've had some really big names at the top, Otani and Yamamoto, You've had Aaron Nola, who did really well, and Blake Snell, certainly a two-time Cy Young Award winner, Jordan Montgomery, a postseason hero for the Texas Rangers. But overall, not a great group. So we're looking at a free agent market that has yet to fully take shape. 
we're looking at a number of players who are still available in trade, starting pitchers in particular. I'm talking, yes, about Dylan Cease, possibly Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber if he gets moved. The Marlins have starting pitchers to possibly trade. The Mariners have starting pitchers to possibly trade. We have a lot of things still circulating, still in play. Now, how it's all going to develop, I don't know. Will Corbin Burns indeed be traded? I don't know. Dylan Cease, I would say yes. Bieber is a little bit more uncertain, though it certainly is something the Guardians would consider. But overall, again, we're sitting here in early January, and we're not exactly sure about where all these bodies are going to land. We do know a few things, though. We do know that there are still certain teams with huge needs, glaring needs, I would say. And these are big market teams. I'm not talking about the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Oakland A's who have obvious needs. I'm talking about teams that will spend money, want to spend money, but have yet to fully address what they intended to do this offseason. Let's look at five of those teams. This list is not all-inclusive. If I'm missing your team, don't have a cow. But these are five teams, certainly with things to do. The Giants, we'll start with them. I've got listed here starting pitcher, shortstop, right-handed corner infielder, and bullpen. Now, I don't know that they're going to do all of that, but they'll do some of it. The shortstop's interesting with them. Marco Luciano is a top prospect, a guy they like, but I'm not sure they want to play him at that spot, such a pivotal spot, in a year in which they are trying to make a lot of progress. You don't want to necessarily entrust a rookie who is not necessarily a great defender in that particular role. Now, as we continue on in this list, the Red Sox. They've done some things. Yes, they've added Lucas Giolito, subtracted Chris Sale. We'll talk more about that trade later in the program. But they still need a top-of-the-rotation starter. The Yankees still need a starting pitcher. They've got Garrett Cole, but they've got Cortez and Rodon coming off injury-marred seasons. They've got Clark Schmidt, who was a below-average starter. Need a starting pitcher, didn't get Yamamoto. The Cubs have yet to sign a free agent to a major league contract this offseason. A left-handed hitter to replace Bellinger, that's one. Maybe another left-handed hitter in a trade, and maybe a starting pitcher to replace Marcus Stroman. And finally, the Orioles. The Orioles have signed Craig Kimbrell to supplement their bullpen, replace Felix Bautista, who will be out this season after undergoing Tommy John surgery. But the Orioles have still not added the top of the rotation starter that they need. I don't expect them to sign Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery. Those pitchers are likely going to be beyond where they want to spend. Could they be a player for Dylan Cease? They should be a player for Dylan Cease. Perhaps one of the Seattle starters, perhaps one of the Miami starters, but the Orioles need someone on top of Bradish and Rodriguez. At the very least, they need to replace Kyle Gibson's 192 innings. So, to sum it all up, I'm going back to where I was at the beginning of the program here. There is a lot that needs to get done. A lot we'll be talking about in the weeks ahead on fair territory, on foul territory. There's just a lot that needs to be resolved. Time now for the inside dish. This is the part of the show where I go inside a story I've written, inside a trend in the game, or maybe off the board entirely. But this week I want to talk about the one big move that happened between Christmas and New Year's. There were a lot of things that happened, actually. Mitch Garver signed, Kevin Kiermeyer signed, but the biggest move was clearly the trade of Chris Sale from the Red Sox to the Braves 
for Vaughn Grissom. This move was interesting for a lot of reasons, and I wrote about it in The Athletic on Tuesday night. It's still up there on Wednesday if you want to check it out. And I wrote about it from the Braves' perspective because the Braves, to me, have had a fascinating offseason. They're pretty much done now. They've made a ton of moves. Money's been flying everywhere. They've been sending it with players, getting it with other players, and they've increased their payroll by probably some $40 million. And yet, some of that increase is just natural due to salaries that are rising among the players that they have, and some of it is due to the moves that they've made. They essentially bought Jared Kelenic from the Mariners. They did that. He's going to be their left fielder. And now with Sale, it's not a move that necessarily increases their payroll. In fact, they're getting him for almost nothing in terms of the finances involved. The Red Sox are covering 17 of the $27.5 million that Chris Sale is due in 2024. And of the other $10.5 million, $10 million of that is not going to get paid. It's deferred until 2039. I don't expect Alex Anthopoulos will be president of baseball operations of the Braves then. Not his problem. So essentially, sale comes for $500,000, but it costs them a promising hitter, Vaughn Grissom. Now, Vaughn Grissom, I know his exit velocities weren't great last year when he was in the major leagues, but most people in baseball believe he will hit, and the Red Sox are going to install him in second base and feel pretty good about that. For Chris Sale, that's a good return. I don't know that there's any question about that. But my bigger question is with the Braves. And where is their rotation going in 2024? And what is it looking like in 2025 and beyond? In 24, you might say, whoa, it looks pretty good. Freed and Strider and Sale and Charlie Morton. The only problem with that is each of those pitchers has had injury issues in recent years. Not so much Strider. I should exclude him from that. Freed certainly has. He had the forearm last year. Charlie Morton's 40 years old, for heaven's sake. He's been relatively healthy since joining the Braves in 2021. And Sale, we know of his injury history. Now, the good news for the Braves, you look at the other candidates on this list, they have a number of other candidates. They signed Ronaldo Lopez with the idea of giving him a chance to start. Bryce Elder, brilliant in the first half last year, was an all-star. Then he faded in the second half. And then you've got two prospects, A.J. Smith-Shawver, we saw him a little bit, Hurston Waldrep, and then two guys coming off Tommy John, who Oscar Enoa will be ready by spring training, Ian Anderson, possibly June or July. So you look at them, and they've got depth. But what happens at the deadline if things aren't going smoothly? And indeed, they might not be going smoothly, right, with these pitchers, the injury risks that are involved. And then beyond 2024, let's go fast forward a year. What happens next year, 2025? Freed, in my opinion, is almost certain to leave as a free agent. He's going to be priced out of where the Braves want to be. Charlie Morton at that point, who knows if he'll be effective? Who knows if he'll want to pitch? He'll be 41. And Chris Sale, the Braves do have a $20 million club option on him, which if he pitches well will be great. But... Will he pitch well enough for them to justify picking up that option? Will he pitch well enough to indeed be the playoff starter that they envision? It's a worthwhile gamble for them, certainly because Vaughn Grissom was blocked pretty much everywhere. He was a safety net for Jared Kalanick, but not much more than that. And at the same time, it's a risky trade. So for the Braves, I'm a little worried. And it's interesting. I noticed the comments on the article. A lot of Braves fans were saying, hey, 
No reason to doubt Alex Anthopoulos. He has been mostly brilliant since taking over as president of baseball operations. No argument. Anthopoulos has done a tremendous job. He has mostly identified the right players at the right times, and there's every reason for Braves fans to feel confident about that again. Jared Kelenic, I still believe, will be a really good player in the major leagues. Chris Sale, I'm not as sure about, but there were some good signs last year. There were some good things that he did. Strikeout rate was up. He did make 20 starts. I know he had some issues, but at the same time, we saw not the old Chris Sale, but certainly at times a competent, quality major league pitcher. And don't forget, the Braves also have added to their bullpen with Ray Kerr and, of course, Aaron Bummer. So it's going to be an interesting season for the Braves to see all this play out. For the Red Sox, we discussed them earlier, and we'll discuss them again right here. I do like Grissom at second base, and their infield right now looks pretty good. Cassis, Grissom, Story, Devers. That's a presentable group for sure. The rotation is still a work in progress. And I mentioned they've swapped out Giolito for sale, or swapped in Giolito for sale, I should say. And here's how the rotation probably looks right now. Brian Bayo, Lucas Giolito, Nick Pavetta, Tanner Houck, Cutter Crawford. Now, that is not a horrible group, but what is it missing? Clearly, a top-of-the-rotation guy. Montgomery could be that. Blake Snell could be that, though I'm not sure sure the Red Sox will want to go on down that path. They could even make a trade. There's certainly a team that right now is in position with their farm system to do some things with their young players, maybe even acquire a Dylan Cease or a Corbin Burns. They're in position to do that. At the same time, I want to see it happen. And we've talked a lot about how Red Sox chairman Tom Werner at the start of the offseason said the team is going full throttle. We have not really seen them go full throttle just yet. It's kind of half throttled at this point. But the offseason is not over. And the Red Sox, again, still have the opportunities in free agency and in trade to significantly upgrade that rotation. And if they do that, they're suddenly a lot more interesting in 2024. Time now for Dude and Dork of the Week. Dude of the Week is one of my favorite dudes of the week that we've had. It's someone that I've known for a long time. It's someone that a lot of fans have a lot of fondness for. It's someone that is dealing with something right now that is really difficult, but he's coming through it. And if you haven't read Matt Gelb's story on Charlie Manuel yet, I advise you that as soon as you are done listening or watching this show, to go read it. Charlie Manuel suffered a stroke. And after suffering his stroke, he had a hard time talking. It's one of the things that sometimes happens when a person has a stroke. And Charlie Manuel is someone who loves to talk, loves to talk about baseball. And it's interesting, we've kind of teased Charlie over the years for his tortured syntax at times. But Charlie Manuel is a really bright guy who knows exactly what he's saying and when he was a manager, knew exactly what he was doing. Well, if you read the story by Matt, Charlie is coming out of it. And he's kind of gaining strength with his voice and all of the things that he needs to do recovering from a stroke. And the story was beautifully written by Matt. It was also inspiring. So Charlie Manuel, due to the week, and it's really great to name him due to the week, knowing that he is on the road to recovery. In fact, kind of completing the road to recovery. Dork of the week. Now, I hate to give dork of the week to a colleague of mine at Fox, but I want you to watch this gender reveal 
involving David Ortiz. And I want you to pay attention to this great hitter. And what we see here is a swing and a miss. Now, thankfully, somebody popped the balloon or did whatever it was, and we see that it's going to be a boy. That Poppy is going to be the father of a boy. But, man, he missed the ball. Poppy, come on, man. I know you're 48, but you can still hit. Let's go. David Ortiz, a loving dork of the week. Time now for Grilling Ken. Let's get to your questions. First one this week comes from Stoke, who asks, Hi, Ken. What do you think is the most underrated signing so far this offseason? This is a good question. And I thought about Eduardo Rodriguez a little bit. Four years, $80 million with the Diamondbacks. It's not a bad signing, in my opinion. He's going to go well with Gallon and Merrill Kelly. But the guy I'm going to choose is someone who was one of the better hitters in the game when healthy. He signed a two-year, $24 million deal with the Mariners. And his name is Mitch Garver. Now, Mitch Garver is most likely not going to catch very much for the Mariners. I would expect he'll be a DH, which is what he was most of the time with Texas. The Mariners, of course, have Cal Raleigh, one of the great catchers in the game right now. They picked up Sebi Zavala, who will be their backup. So Garver looms as a DH, but for two years, $24 million, it seems to me that's a pretty good deal. Next question comes from Boston Badasses. Boston Badasses asks, can the Sox replace Jansen internally? Secondly, what is his real value on the trade market? I don't know that Kenley Jansen would be easy to replace internally. He had a good season last year. It was 29 of 33, save opportunities, about a 3-6 ERA in about 45 innings. He is someone who is still performing at age 36 at a really high level. Now, trade value? I believe he has some trade value. Now, it's one year, $16 million. That's what he has left on his contract. And because he is still performing in a role that few people can perform at very well, Kenley Jansen, I would imagine, would at least bring the Red Sox a solid prospect. Not an elite prospect, a top 100 guy, but someone that they can maybe plug into their farm system and envision as a major leaguer in the future. Last question comes from old school PlayStation fanboy Gary. I like your handle, Gary. Gary asks, Nick Crawl, GM of the Reds, says the Reds are basically done. Buy or sell, Jonathan India will be playing on this contending Reds club in 2024. Interesting question, Gary, and well-timed. Nick Crawl said earlier this week that he does not expect the Reds to make any more major moves. They've added Montas and Nick Martinez to the rotation, done some other things, and he's thinks that that is pretty much it. I forgot Candelario. They've also added him. And Candelario is relevant here because he adds to the Reds' crowded infield mix. They essentially have, with India, six guys for five spots if you include the DH. I'm talking about Candelario, Dela Cruz, Matt McClain, Jonathan India, Noel V. Marte, and Christian Encarnacio Strand. That's six. They've got Spencer Steer, Really, he would be seven, but he's going to move to the outfield. Now, Nick Crawl has said that he likes the idea of depth, that injuries will occur, we do know that, and that he likes having the extra guys available. But as Trent Rosecrans and I wrote back when Ellie Dela Cruz came up, much to the dismay of Kirk Herbstreit, Jonathan India remains the odd man out here, and he's projected an arbitration to make about $3.7 I don't know that he has much trade value. 
He's a league average hitter and a below average defender at second base. So it seems to me that he likely will open the season at second base or somewhere in the infield with the Reds, perhaps bouncing around a little bit. Long term, I don't see his future there. Too many good young players who are squeezing him out of the picture. So will India open the season and be part of the contending Reds in 2024? He means a lot to that team. He's kind of the heart and soul of that Reds roster. But he is getting squeezed again by more talented and younger players. I want to thank everyone for their questions. Thanks to everyone for listening, for watching. You know where to find us. YouTube, Apple, Spotify. Like, subscribe. We will be back next Monday. We are going to go strong in 2024. Join us. Hey, get in on the action with the FT fam at BetMGM. New customers use the bonus code FOUL, F-O-U-L, for a $1,500 first bet offer. Download the BetMGM Sportsbook app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Sign up and deposit at least $10 into your BetMGM Sportsbook account. Place your first wager and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLING.